the future. There are no people. There are no people in the future. No people at all. There are no people in the future. Where did all my people go? There are no people in the future. Let me try my people call. everybody everybody welcome welcome it is monday may 30th 2022 welcome to raging chickens out the coop live yes it is memorial day and we'd like to take a moment to remember those who have died in wars and those who have worked to stop unnecessary deaths as the result of unjust wars this is kevin mahoney creator and founder of raging chicken on out the coop live we talk to progressives activists and troublemakers of all sorts right from our own backyards from across the country you can join us at the end of the week, of course, for our Friday Politics Roundup, where we break down the good, the bad, and the ugly in state and national politics. You can also check out our once or twice monthly The Wednesday Show with Cyril Michaleko. Cyril, of course, is the editor-in-chief of the Bucks County Beacon, and he joins me to drill down to the Bucks County, Pennsylvania, and international politics. We go all over the place. You can get all our shows by subscribing to our podcast on Podbeans, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Make sure you leave us that five-star review let other people know why you like the show. That helps other people find the show. It's kind of a cool thing, right? A little review, other people find the show. It's awesome. You can support the show by becoming a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Head on over to patreon.com slash rcpress. You can choose your membership level, five bucks, 10 bucks, 25 bucks a month, like you make the call. You can also help out the show by heading over to our YouTube channel. If you're not there already, smash that subscribe button, like the stream for this show, and hit that notification bell so you know every time we go live. And look, we hit a milestone this weekend, everybody. We are now over 200 subscribers on our channel, which I'm so thrilled about. I know we don't have the hundreds of thousands of subscribers that you get at a lot of these folks, but this has been a goal. You've heard me talk about it before. I was so thrilled to see that we uh, cracked 200 and went to 201 right before the show today. Uh, so seriously, subscribe to the show even if you're not on youtube all the time you subscribe to the show that helps other people find the show and helps build our audience and helps kind of amplify the voices of people doing the awesome work right here in bucks county in pennsylvania and across the country <clears throat> you can also join our discord server info on that is in tonight's show notes and look if you look for more pa progressive talk tune into the rick smith show's live stream at 9 p.m eastern on his youtube channel twitter facebook wherever you get your podcast you can find in there too as well Check out the ricksmithshow.com for the latest across all his platforms. And you absolutely have to check out the Sisters of the Night Caucus podcast if you haven't already. The amazing PA women stirring the political cauldron behind this podcast rock the house. And they know where the bodies are buried. Yes, make sure to follow them on Twitter at, at the Night Caucus. That's at the Night Caucus on Twitter. Subscribe to their podcast on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, hey, all you gamers out there, listen up. Check out the Game In. That's a Game In with two ends. They are a Quakertown-based black family-owned gaming store. They're friends of the show. They've got everything from Retro N64s, the latest consoles, video games for all platforms, loads of collectibles, action figures, Funko Pops, walls of Funko Pops. And kids get discounts at every A. Look, they get the, get the A's in a report card. This is the last report card. Marking period's coming up. Head on over to the Game In and check them out. You can check them out on their Facebook page. Follow them on Twitter at, at the Gaming. Got a question about a game? Look for something hard to get. Shoot them an email. Or drop them. Or shoot them an email at thegameinpa at gmail.com. 
Special shout-out goes to Jonathan Mann, who wrote our intro song, There Are No People in the Future. Check out all his great stuff on his YouTube page and follow him on Twitter at at Man. That's at Man on Twitter. And hey, look, do not let Paul Martino and his ilk buy our schools and our community. Help us end the domination of right-wing money tipping the scales for the extreme on our school boards and our community. Look, we've teamed up with levelfield.net to make this easy for a community-run pack that is going directly into movement building and candidates that are kind of meet the values um, that we have in the progressive community. You can check out information about the uh, Raging Chicken Community Fund um, at ragingchicken.levelfield.net. Well, everybody, Welcome to the end of May, almost, um, practically. And tonight, got a special treat once again to close this month out. I welcome Kirsten Zolfel back to the show. Kirsten, of course, is the PA Indivisible Legislative Chair and Bucks County awesome person, right? <laughs> Thank we'll, you. Yes, you got it. Uh, we'll be ripping the moderate mask off Representative Brian Fitzpatrick by digging into his anti-abortion record, his election integrity gaslighting, his use of alternative facts. We're going to take a look at what he just did on the domestic terrorism bill. Can you say Janice face anybody? I can. <laughs> Right, and we if we have time, we might even kind of dip into uh, what's going on with his little relationship with the ballot harvester down there in Philly. At the very least, we're going to kind of point you over to Kirsten's article over at Bucks County Beacon, so you can check all that out. Look, what? That's not enough. Hey, maybe we'll add in a surprise about his visit to Ukraine while still refusing to hold town halls for his constituents <laughs> right here in the PA01. Right, so it's all pretty much crazy. But look. Maybe we'll just talk about why re-electing Brian Fitzpatrick this fall will bolster Republicans' efforts to repeal many of the games of the 20th century. Crazy, crazy. Kirsten, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I really appreciated that intro. And I have to say, you really did get to the crux of it, which is a vote for Brian Fitzpatrick is a vote to put Republicans in control of Congress. Like, that's the top line of everything that we're going to discuss. Well, and isn't that exactly the, the mentality and the mindset that we all need to be in right now is like, it's all about, look, even let's just say you got some person, and I don't know who this could be, but some person who has a good feeling about kind of Brian Fitzpatrick because they met him once and he was kind to them, right? Okay, I'll give you that. I'm not saying that you have to hate the guy. All I'm saying to you right now, what is at stake is like issue after issue. And that has everything to do with the control of Congress. So even if you are a person who thinks that Brian Fitzpatrick is, eh, he's okay, right? I'll tell you right now, a vote for Fitzpatrick is a vote, to, like I said, to, uh, a vote to repeal much of the gains of the 20th century. Exactly. So, I mean, and look, and look, we've had a... <sighs> You know, it's almost like, you know, it's almost like cliche now that Brian Fitzpatrick, right, and the Fitz, there's a Fitzpatrick PR machine, which is all geared up to kind of make him seem like the most moderate and the kind of the most even-handed and kind of thoughtful person that's out there when really his record is anything but. And I think that, you know, just this past month has really laid the groundwork where we can see exactly how this moderate mask that he wears is just a load of nonsense um, and that we have to have a different kind of approach. So let's let's why don't we start? Let's take a look at it this because I mean, God, earlier this month, <laughs> I think it was right. We saw the uh, the draft uh, SCOTUS bill, Supreme Court bill that is kind of designed to repeal Roe v. Wade. And if there isn't there's not something that is kind of more fundamental, right, um, to kind of kind of women being like on the same level of citizenship Having as everyone else. Autonomy. Here. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> 
this is what we're talking about, right? Yeah. So let's talk about kind of moderate Fitzpatrick when it comes to uh, his his stance on kind of the right to abortion and production uh, protection of women's reproductive freedom. So the way I describe it is Brian Fitzpatrick is not just anti-choice. He is virulently anti-choice. He has never done anything remotely moderate when it comes to women's reproductive freedom. So if we go back to 2017, his first year in Congress, um, he voted for the no taxpayer funding for abortion bill. That's basically, it was codifying the, the old Hyde Amendment, that little rider that they throw into budgets that says that no federal funding can go towards abortion services. Right. So that already went into every budget, but the Republicans in the 115th Congress under Paul Ryan felt that it was important to pass a bill that said that too. So he voted yes on that. And then he voted for a budget that would have defunded Planned Parenthood if it had passed as they had initially uh, created it, but he voted yes for that. And he voted for a 20-week abortion ban. And that was October 2017. So in his first year in office, he showed us exactly who he is. Um, and that's not the least of it. I mean, he has also voted yes on a bill that granted legal rights to fetuses. Um, and he's participated not just in votes for the quote-unquote Born Alive Abortion Survivor Protection Act. That's quite a mouthful. What it basically, that bill says that it takes something that's already illegal, which would be killing an infant. You know, like we, we already have laws on that, but this co would codify into law an extra time saying that that's illegal still, I guess. Um, it's also basically a right-wing urban legend, like when i'm trying to remember then is it gutenmacher institute i'm sorry if i'm getting that name wrong but it, oh, it's a, it. the the group that really does a lot of research on reproductive freedoms they've basically found that this never happens there is ne there is almost never an abortion that occurs with an infant that comes out as a living creature that's not how abortions work but despite that it's something that the right wing uses to drive their supporters into frenzies. And so they feel that they need to pass this bill, but he didn't just do that. In the, the two terms of Congress since then, when Democrats have been in control, obviously a bill like that isn't gonna come to the floor under Nancy Pelosi because she's Nancy Pelosi and she supports women's reproductive freedoms. Excuse me, anyone who can bear children's reproductive freedoms. I'm sorry, I'm trying to be better about my language in, in, on this issue. Um, but basically what he has done is he's done these discharge petitions. It's like a, a Republican uh, show of force where they all come up and they sign this bill. Because if they can get 218 signatures, they can bring a bill to the floor. Well, they're not getting 218 signatures because they're not in the majority. But still, in 2019 and in 2021, he participated in this, like, it's basically just a messaging effort. So he's done that. Uh, just last year, he voted no on the Women's Health Protection Act, uh, the bill that just recently, unfortunately, failed in Congress, um, in the Senate, because it couldn't get past a Republican filibuster. Um, and he also supports um, crisis pregnancy centers. Those are those, like, fake... If you were to Google abortions... Yep you wouldn't actually get real abortion service providers like the first 10 responses are going to be these fake crisis pregnancy centers where their whole job is to try to divert you away from abortion services yeah i remember you know and it's he, funny when i first when yeah. i first came out when i first started uh, uh teaching at kutztown uh right in the in the kutztown 
I think I think it's in the borough. I don't know if it's still there or not. Kevin, I have to say you're kind of cutting in and out a little bit. I know it's <laughs> I shouldn't show us behind the scenes stuff, but I can't hear you very well. You're not right hearing now. me. Okay. Um, okay. Go ahead with what you were saying. Then I'll come back. I'm not sure what what the issue is, but go ahead, Kirsten. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. So the, the crisis pregnancy centers, he's basically done fundraisers at those events and he has done, uh, tweeted out pictures from, from events that he's done with crisis pregnancy centers. And they are the exact opposite of what is needed when a person has to face a choice about whether or not they're going to carry a pregnancy to term. So it's not just that he is anti-choice with his votes. He is anti-choice with his every action. Oh, man. Are you hearing me coming through now? I am. And I can see okay. you, too. So we're back. OK, sorry Excellent. about that. I'm not sure. Yeah, it was it was odd because um, I was getting uh, I was hearing you fine and I was seeing my video. For, I'm not sure what happened right in the. It must have been in my upload side. My apologies. No, it's it's all good. <laughs> what I was so just starting to <laughs> no, what I was yeah, starting the, to say, yeah, what I was starting to say was I remember when you mentioned those crisis pregnancy, um, um, uh, those places. Center. I re mm -hmm. remember when I first started uh, teaching at Kutztown, I remember seeing one of those like in town. I was like, oh, this is a good thing, thinking naively, <laughs> right? And then I asked, yeah. I happened to come up in a conversation with somebody. I said, oh, and I saw, well, that's kind of seems to be like a relatively progressive thing. And they're like, oh, no, <laughs> it was one of these places. So, I mean, right. in that kind of record, we're seeing, you know, this guy, like you said, it's not just that he's voted like, you know, here and there for this. But he's voted, voted for extreme bills, right? And yes. the, the most extreme right wing kind of talking points and theories and kind of agenda points. Fitzpatrick has been there right from his first days in office. I would agree. And what I would also point out, too, and the reason why I brought up those discharge petitions that he participated in in 2019 and 2021 on that uh, Born Alive bill is that a lawmaker has to take votes. I mean, yeah, it's possible for them to vote present, but like realistically, he has to take votes. He didn't have to take part in those right. discharge petitions. He chose to do that. He chose to be a part of that process that it's it was just a media marketing to the far right um, anti-choice crowd. And he he was part of it. He chose to. So it's you you cannot say that any single thing he has done there is moderate. Right. He is very clearly to the far, far right of the spectrum on this, especially when I, I remember doing research for before I did the piece for the, the Bucks County Beacon. Um, to see what the rate of acceptance among the general public was. Because, you know, when, when you stay in sort of a left-wing bubble, which I, you know, I'll admit to the fact that I mostly sure. stay there. I was, you know, I wasn't really sure, but it basically came down to in the Philadelphia area, it's about 80% of, of voters, of voters who were surveyed had said that they believe in few to no restrictions on abortion. Yeah. 80%. I mean, it's 80 percent. And I think that this is the kind of thing where we need to be. Uh, no, this is uh, me editorializing here. So, but from my perspective, is that this is something that the that progressives and those folks are kind of on the broad kind of left of the spectrum or people who give half a crap about women's reproductive freedom need to stop being afraid to campaign on this stuff. If you're talking about an issue that has 80 percent support in your region, then we need to have kind of a full throated endorsement of kind of abortion rights here. 
right? And um, can I just say, like, that's please. why I kind of love Ashley Ehaz right now, because yep. she had no problem taking the mic and talking about reproductive freedom at the various events that have taken place since the leak of the Supreme Court decision. She has been out front and just very strong on her defense of reproductive freedom. 100%. And, you know, I, you yeah. know, I, 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 this is not an exact quote, but I mean, the fact that she got up there and she said, like, look, like, you know, if, you know, God help me that I'm going to go out and risk my life for this country and come back here to be a second class citizen. No, Brian mm -hmm. Fitzpatrick, we're coming for your seat. <laughs> right. You know, and yeah. I think, you know, that kind of clear, uh, you know, like, you know, like I said, full throated kind of campaign message that it's like, I'm not just going to kind of say like, well, I want to make sure preserve women's access to health care. No, no, no. I mean, we're not going to use the coded language anymore. We're going to talk about exactly what we what we mean. And she's been doing it. So, you know, hats off to her. I mean, hats off to her and her campaign. I think she's been doing an outstanding job. Agreed. And I'd also like to add, that's one of the reasons why I've been avoiding the, the term pro-choice as much as I can. Again, it's retraining because, you know, I, I right, came sure. up in the 90s and, you know, it was all pro-choice. But really, it's reproductive freedom. We need to talk about it's abortion rights. We have to say precisely what it is that we're talking about here. Because you know what? Abortion isn't shameful. It's some it's a healthcare decision. And we just need to own up to that. And do you mind if I actually um, I was going to see if I could find the exact quote that Ashley had because Go for it. Yeah. it was really great. Um, okay, here it is. This oh, is a quote from her on May 15th. Quote, I did not see combat overseas to come back home, have my reproductive rights taken away, and be made a second-class citizen for the country I risked my life to protect. I have one thing to say to my opponent, Brian Fitzpatrick. I'm coming for your seat, and I will win. Unquote, Ashley E. has Democratic candidate for Congress, BA01. I mean, she just laid it all out there, and it was gorgeous. <laughs> no, and thank God, you know. And I, look, I've been waiting for a long time for, uh, you know, for the, a candidate to come out with that, with this kind of message, you know. And I've said this on my show multiple times. I said, you know, we finally got a candidate in Bucks County uh, running against Brian Fitzpatrick that um, is a good candidate, despite the D Triple C, despite the kind of like consultant class folks that go out and try to handpick candidates based upon some algorithm, right? I yeah. mean, despite all of that, we still got an, a, like a fantastic candidate, and that you know, I was talking to somebody earlier about this today and saying look you know she showed up like unlike any other candidate that we've had uh, um, up against fitzpatrick she's been out there she's been knocking doors been showing up for rallies been showing up for other candidates um and yep. you know and she has not walked away from the kind of very kind of aggressive um campaign launch video that she started her campaign with and like so again hats off to her thank god that we've got someone running like her. So, um, you know, I'll yeah, she's be walking the walk. She is not Absolutely. just talking the talk. And I would like to add one other postscript to it. I know today we're talking about Fitzpatrick, but I feel like I have to bring this up. Yep. This, this SCOTUS leak had one other big benefit to those of us here in Pennsylvania. And it's really, uh, it, uh, Senator Bob Casey came over to our side finally. Yep. Like, there's something to be said about that. For so long, they talked about there being two pro-life Republicans, and uh, excuse me, two pro-life Democrats in the Senate, and Bob Casey was one of them. And it was one of those things where people would ask me, like, why do you love Bob Casey so much? He's not one of our allies on this. And I'm like, well, he's 95% of the way with us on other things. It's just wonderful that of all of the things 
to come out of this horrible, horrible SCOTUS leak. Yeah. The one good one was Bob Casey coming out and saying, like, yeah, I have to side with my constituents. 100%. And I have to say, as part of the language retraining that we're all going through, right, I'm also, mm -hmm. uh, I'm choosing the forced birther instead of pro-life, right? Um, yeah, I like that. I, I need to, I've been saying <laughs> anti-choice, but you're right, forced birther. I'm going to forced birther because that's a... Um, yeah let them let them make their you know let them kind of get all upset about the term and explain themselves away that's how i look at it you know so i'm loving it and i need to use it more <laughs> i know like like you i came up in the 90s you know doing exactly the same stuff but i think that we need the more aggressive language now that's really puts a a sharp focus on what we're talking about yeah so speaking of this now one of the other things that we see this week past couple of weeks now has mm -hmm. been marked by absolutely horrific kind of gun violence, um, mass shootings, both we saw in Buffalo and now what we saw in Uvalde, which is like absolutely horrifying. Um, before we even get to the absolute complete mishandling of everything that took place from you know, on the policing, the, the fact is, is that this was a, two AR-15s were bought by uh, bought by an 18 year old, like on his birthday, so he could go and commit this murder, uh, these yeah. murders, right? These assault, these absolute massacres, and we saw the same thing happen in Buffalo, where we got one of these white, uh, right, right wings, like white supremacists, head out to Buffalo, look for kind of a black area where he could go to a supermarket and kind of uh, massacre as many as black people as he could while he live streamed it, and yeah. so once again, you know, again, it's this. Na nationwide ritual that we're going through um and and i think there's people once again are trying to break us out of that cycle and say we yes. need to kind of like action on this immediately so let's take a little bit of a look at uh, brian fitzpatrick's kind of like you know where he is on guns and then i want to and i want to move that into what just happened on this domestic terrorism bill following the, the buffalo shootings but first like because he's got kind of a mixed record right this is one of the things he yeah. tries to hold up as one of these moderate stances so what can you walk us through that a little bit Definitely. And I mean, if you were to take, we talked about his PR machine earlier on, if you were to take their angle on it, he would look like, oh, he's the most, you know, the most progressive person on gun rights. You know, they really do put that forward because that's what gets him endorsements from gun reform groups. And he does get those endorsements. But the fact is, is his record is mixed. So on the pro side, um, he has sponsored himself some bills uh, that have to do with school safety related to guns. Um, and at least one of them passed in 2018. And he has voted for the background check bills uh, that, that the Democrats have put forth. One of the few Republicans who's done so. There were, there were a couple, but he is one of the few, and he should be commended for that. Mm -hmm. But the fact is, is everyone knows that those are DOA bills. They're not going anywhere. There is not the support in the Senate for those to be passed. So while we do give him credit for having placed those votes, it's not the same credit as placing a vote for a bill that you know is going to make it into law, because right. he knows they're not. We do have to look, though, at his history of placing bad gun votes, and he has done some. So this one's a little bit technical. I'm going to ask you to follow me as I get a little bit nerdy on it. But I'm here. Whenever Congress changes hands from one party to another, particularly when it does it in concert with a the presidency changing hands from one party to, to the other, much as it did with the o Obama to Trump changeover, there is something called the Congressional Review Act. Yep. that lets Congress look at rules that bureaucratic agencies have put into effect and say, no, we didn't intend that and we're going to reverse that rule because we didn't intend for that to happen when we gave you your authorities. 
So one of those things that happened at the very start of the 115th Congress, when Republicans were in control under Paul Ryan, was something that's called, uh, it was a Congressional Review Act, and it basically, it was called H.J. Res. 40, so that's House Joint Resolution 40. And it looked at an Obama-era rule that said that folks who receive disability benefits for certain mental health issues, and they're ones where their cases are so severe that they need to be assigned a person to handle their finances for them. So we're not just saying anyone who's on disability for mental issues, but like they can't handle their own day-to-day expenses. Right. That they should be blocked from passing background checks. Now, my actually my day-to-day work has to deal with uh, working with social security disability benefits. So I can assure you like, we're not talking about the vast majority of people who get those benefits. We're talking about a very small proportion of them have to get what's called a rep pay. Fitz voted to get rid of that rule, along with most of the other Republicans in the House. And what that means, and I believe this was enacted into law. Mm-hmm. Um, what that means is all of their talk about, oh, this is a mental health problem and it needs to be treated as a mental health issue. Well, all of them who were in Congress in 2017 voted to take people who have mental health issues and give them guns. Right. If they want them. This was, that they would no longer, you know, not pass the background checks. 100%. And so let's be clear. There was a rule in place already that said, look, if a person is, is, has such severe mental health issues, right. That they can't handle, like you said, handle their own finances and so on, that we want to make sure that that a gun doesn't end up in that person's hand because they are not capable of kind of using it safely in this kind of way. You just don't know. So there was already the rule and that this vote, what it did was took that rule away and said, no, they should be able to get whatever firearm that they want. Exactly. And there was another bill along those same lines. It was called the Veterans Second Amendment Protection Act, also in 2017. It was uh, H.R. 1181 of the 115th Congress um, that said much the same thing. And it would authorize the quote was it would authorize veterans deemed mentally incompetent to buy firearms. Now, that did not make it into law. It passed the House and Fitzpatrick voted for it, but it never made it for a vote in the Senate. But it's the same situation where it's saying, even though we talk out of one side of our mouths to say that this is a mental health issue, they didn't take the basic steps to help enable people who are having mental health issues to be blocked from getting, severe mental health issues to be blocked from getting guns. It's it's flabbergasting. It's so frustrating sometimes when when you compare what the talking points are that they use to how they've actually voted. Right. And like and let's be you know, the other part about this and why I think this is so important to really hit those points that you just hit about, you know, look, we're voting. They voted to put those guns in people's hands who are have been deemed kind of mentally unable to handle that gun. Right. right. And so that's what they that's what they just did. And we're not just talking about just a messaging bill. Right. Which basically, you know, will go out there and make a stand about what they think about the world. We're talking about actually the re- you know, we're seeing the results of this. Right. When you basically yeah. have people who are 
are have kind of mental problems. And again, there is nobody on this podcast who listens to this podcast because you're who is going to say that like we like we don't need mental health like access to mental health care. Right? You know I mean, right. If it was up to us, we're like, yeah. So who's against that? Nobody. Well, okay. So let's let's make sure that we have Medicare for all, so everybody has access to mental health care. Oh no, we can't do that. Right? You know. But so, but in here, when they do it. Right. We're actually seeing people's lives being taken away. We're seeing kind of like death and destruction on the other end of these kind of decisions. And of course, we saw, you know, uh, you know, the most horrific examples of this. Right. Again, like over the past couple of weeks, you know, first with I don't want to take us too far off this issue. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we saw an attempt. Right. One of the first attempts that I can really see a serious attempt to crack down on some of this kind of this white supremacy and the kind of these extremists. Um, who were car who carried out that attack in Buffalo. And Fitzpatrick had an interesting approach to that too as well. You know what, actually, before you go in that yeah, direction, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. do you mind no, if please, I please. take us to one other gun issue? I'm so sorry. No, I, please, I, please. no, 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 that's fine, that's fine. I'm like, like I said, I don't want to take us around too fast, but I'm just like... Yeah, this is so important, I think, yes, yes, because yes. it really shows who Fitzpatrick is, and it go has to it. do with a, a vote he took in 2017 called the Concealed Carry Reciprocity Act. Oh, right, So right, right. Conce concealed carry reciprocity, what that basically means is whatever state in the country has created a, a rule about con concealed carry, you know, carrying a gun under your coat, <laughs> and whatever licensing they would have to go through, every other state in the country would have to accept. So it would be a race to the bottom. The idea that I think I wrote a tweet about it saying like, if Texas decides to let ham sandwiches carry AR-15s, then Pennsylvania has to let that ham sandwich with an AR-15 into our state. Like that's what concealed carry reciprocity means. Now, a bill came up for a vote, and Fitzpatrick voted no on that bill, which the gun reform groups have lauded him for. Mm -hmm. But at the exact same time he voted no on that bill, he had a letter created to go out in response to folks who had questions about that vote. And I have to be honest, I have no idea how the Wallace campaign got their hands on this, but back in 2018, they got their hands on one of these letters. And he says... Quote, under his letterhead, <laughs> fundamental to the commitment to the Second Amendment is my firm belief in the concept of reciprocity. And he goes on to say, advancing reciprocity is a critical step in protecting Second Amendment rights from the whims of partisan legislators and activist judges. And he wants to, quote, seize the opportunity to pass not the quickest, but the most effective consensus reciprocity measures possible, unquote. So it's not that he doesn't support concealed carry reciprocity. He does. He just didn't like that bill. And some students went after Parkland. They went up into his office to talk about this situation. And we have a tweet from 2018. Someone took video of it. I'm so happy that they did. And his chief of staff repeated that in like we have the video of it of his chief of staff telling him, yes, Brian Fitzpatrick supports national concealed carry reciprocity. So it isn't just this draft letter that we have a handle on. So like he voted one way, gets all this wonderful support from groups like Giffords and Moms Demand Action and all of the Bloomberg every town groups. And meanwhile, he's telling his supporters the exact opposite of the vote that he garnered all the benefits from. And it's like, and it's like he just like, yeah, it's like he, he sucks this stuff up. He waits until he gets those, 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 you know, the happy thoughts and the endorsements or, you know, the uh, the the celebratory moments of say, look, we have a Republican that's done this. He gets all those things, 
feeds them into his PR machine and then goes and does the exact opposite um, and basically kind of campaigns in the exact opposite direction, which brings exactly. us right, right which, which is, again, <laughs> we see the same identical pattern hearing after the Buffalo massacre, right? Yep. So, so walk us through what happened the... there. Yeah. No, go for it. <laughs> no, no. Walk us through what happened there. I want to because this is like this was crazy. Okay, so we're talking about the Domestic Terrorism Correct. Prevention Act. So it's a bill that came up for a vote that Fitzpatrick had co-sponsored and was very proud and touted the fact that he, you know, wanted to go after domestic terrorists and he supported this bill and that's why he was one of the Republicans who co-signed it. I mean, who co-sponsored it. But when the bill came up for a vote, he voted no. Now I'm gonna read a little bit from his statement, but then I want to explain why what this really means. Right. So, so let, he, let's be clear. Let's just just so yeah. we hit this really really here. <laughs> Brian Fitzpatrick co-sponsored this bill, right, to crack down on domestic terrorists, right, especially in these kind of cases. And then when the bill comes up for a vote, he votes no. Exactly. A bill and he co-sponsored. Okay. This is one of the rare times that he actually put a statement up on his website. Because, you know, we jokingly call him Silent Brian. He doesn't say anything about anything. Well, <laughs> he doesn't say time... stuff at all those town halls that he holds? Oh, wait. Oh, <laughs> oh wait, wait, wait. wait. I, I forgot. He doesn't have those. But, right. yeah, he, he very rarely offers statements. But this time he did. And his claims, so these are quotes from the statement that he issued on his website. So he says, Democratic leadership made changes to the Domestic Terrorism Prevention Act. And he claims that that would, quote, give DOJ too much leeway in picking and choosing what it considers to constitute domestic terrorism. And then he goes on to, towards the end of the statement, say, Democratic leadership has pushed the bill away from its original bipartisan text and instead chose a single party solution in an effort to appease the far left. They knew in advance that making changes to appease the squad, he has that in like scare quotes, would cause them bipartisan, would cost them bipartisan support end of state end of the quotes from his statement so i was like you know what kind of changes could there have been let me go take a peek hey there's a question and, <laughs> yeah, let, let me go see and for once like it was a short bill it was only a 17 page bill it wasn't like one of those monstrous nightmare bills right 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 and the crux of the change is in the version of the bill that passed it says, and this is a quote, the term domestic terrorism has the meaning given to the term in a, and then they give a citation, a section of the United States Code. Really simple, right? Like, you'd think oh, that government, yeah, I know, radical. government agencies using already established U.S. code to create a definition, because you know, bills always have definitions in the beginning. But if you go back to Brian Fitzpatrick's, or the version of the bill that he originally co-sponsored, it has this line, domestic ter uh, terrorism has the meaning given in that code, which, you know, it says that at the front, but it doesn't include, and then it has this long list of exceptions. And the exceptions are like, acts perpetrated by individuals associated or inspired by a foreign person or a foreign organization or a foreign terrorist organization or an organization designated under an executive order. Like it goes through this like long, long list of exceptions to the point where you could imagine it could be interpreted to mean almost anything. Right. Whereas the bill was actually simplified. He was objecting to the fact that they simplified it so that domestic terrorist means the same thing in U.S. code as it does in this bill. So the reason why he would sponsor a bill like this to begin with is because, right, I mean, look, he's smart enough to know that he could vote for that bill, the original bill, but 
right, know that there was all this wiggle room that was built into it. So the effectiveness of the bill could have been completely diluted, if not made irrelevant, because yes. whoever sitting in the executive office in kind of charge of the Justice Department would be able to interpret that stuff to kind of like not have to prosecute white supremacists. Right. Exactly. Another piece of it, too, is and it's something that, again, Ashley E. has the Democratic congressional candidate for PA01. She called out that he was doing the Fitzpatrick two step because he can go to his moderate Democrats who in some cases do vote for him and say, you know, I came out against domestic terrorism and I co-sponsored a bill to, to take it on. And meanwhile, he can go to his far right red hat wearing folks and say, I voted against that horrible domestic terrorism bill. He gets to do both. And he gets to demonize the squad. In other words, women of color primarily, right? Or people yeah. of And a few men of right? color too. Now the squad's a little bigger these days. Yep, yep, that's right. That's right. It's exactly, exactly. It keeps on growing for somehow. Unless, I don't know why all these progressive folks are joining up. Yeah, maybe people, lots of folks getting sick and tired of kind of... Uh, Status quo politics? Yeah, 100%. 100%. I mean, I but think yeah, that, it's really frustrating to see how... Unfortunately, it is effective in some ways. He does get to use his messaging that way. Unless folks are hearing from friends and neighbors and folks who are door knocking to tell them how it actually is, they are only going to hear the one piece of it that that is the stream that they get from him. And it's it's very frustrating. Right. You know, and I think that this this all really ties in. I mean, once you start looking at like this is a political strategy on his part, you can see why. He doesn't want to have town halls. He doesn't he wants to play around with the kind of election integrity nonsense. Right. And kind of find mm -hmm. where he can, you know, he can kind of like not quite get behind expanding the rights to vote, because, you know, really the only way he's able to pull this off is by, you know, making sure that the vast majority of people aren't paying close attention to politics and aren't paying close attention to his his record. So it works against him to actually get people involved with the process and taking a close look at his record because he does this kind of nonsense. And frankly, what, what kills me is that this is precisely the stuff that people like him say that everybody is sick of. Right. That's why we need to just go and solve problems right in a rational way instead of the political nonsense when he is one of the biggest perpetrators of this time of talking out of both sides of your mouth. Exactly. And I have to say, I uh, someone recently came to me and had a question about the Problem Solvers Caucus, because, you know, Brian Fitzpatrick, if he's in a room, he's going to say, you know, Problem Solvers problem Caucus solver, probably problem solver, once for every solver. three minutes that he's present. <laughs> I mean, like, he uses it a lot. So someone sent the link over to me to the caucus page and was like, oh, my gosh, like these folks look so good. What are the talking points you use against them? And I was like, well, first of all, we call them the problem talkers caucus because they haven't done anything. But when you go down the list of things that they say they've done, it's all we issued this framework. We provided this. Uh, uh, sorry, we have overwhelming support for reinvestment in this. We have a bipartisan proposal. We had a talk, you know, it's never, we got a bill passed. Yeah, it's is all, it, we've done that, reports. Yeah, and, and there's also like, the my, my favorite is like, you know, uh, we brought the donuts. No, just kidding. That is the equivalent of it. One right. of these, like when the talks on, on immigration, it literally says, they travel together to tour a border facility and analyze the situation. They're in ongoing discussions to explore viable solutions. Literally, they are the problem talkers caucus. They do nothing. They talk about it. They might take trips together, but they haven't solved anything. 
so it's about branding and it's really exactly. just about branding. Exactly. They don't do anything, but he gets to say that he saw, you know, he's part of a group that solves problems, whether or not they actually do. The one thing that they did accomplish, and I'm using accomplish in the most derisive way possible, is <laughs> they're, they're really the reason that the, the Build Back Better bill got separated from the bipartisan infrastructure bill. That's what they accomplished this last term. They, yeah, they so, stopped us from getting Build Back Better passed. Right. So anybody is kind of like, you know, a little upset that, you know, that child tax credit got taken away, a little upset that, you know, our climate is going to hell in a handbasket and all the kind of most important climate legislation that was part of that bill are not going to be enacted. Um, you know, we just go down the list. Right. I mean, yeah. And that all the stuff that was there to ensure like resiliency of our society. <laughs> Right. Um, both in the near and kind of long term is the very things that the Problem Solvers Caucus ensured would not happen. Exactly. Um, so there it, you go. It's, yeah, they, they don't get anything done. They're funded by a group called No Labels. That's really just a bunch of billionaires who support the status quo. Yep. Kelly so, DeJong. Yeah, Kelly DeJong just kind of got in chat. So, yep, we need to point out the two step more. So that's incredibly gross. I agree with you, Kelly, 100 <laughs> percent. Agreed. <laughs> One hundred percent. Right. Yep. And, uh, um, yeah, and Emily gets in the Fitzy two step. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I'd also like to point out the fact that we talked, you mentioned election integrity. When yep. Brian Fitzpatrick talks about election integrity, he's not talking about the same thing that we talk about when we're talking about it on the left side of the aisle. So I don't know about you, but when I think of election integrity, I'm thinking of things like making sure that partisans aren't in positions to decide upon election related infrastructure issues like that it's not you know your person who went to january 6 and participated in the riot who's you know now going to be a secretary of state making yep. decisions like that's part of what i think about in terms of election integrity yep. what brian fitzpatrick is talking about is voter id he's talking about signature match which is something that as a disabled person that really upsets me because it will disenfranchise tons of people yep. who have motor issues where their their signatures may not match from day to day um he is talking about making it harder to vote. Yep. Not the election integrity that we think we're talking about. Right. I you know, and here's the interesting thing. You know, I, I served as the uh, judge of elections in my ward for the first time ever this past election. Right. Yeah. So, I heard you talk about it on a previous, yeah, uh, previous um, Raging Chicken. It sounded fascinating and also something I could never do because of the hours. But well, no, I know you it, were doing it. <laughs> it was uh, it was it was extensive. But I have to say, you know, and again, I, I've said this multiple times on the show. But when I think of election integrity, I think of the people that I worked with that day. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and I'll tell you, there were. If I, I don't know, I couldn't tell you the party affiliation of everyone I work with. I said my guess would probably be they lean more on the Republican side just because that's where our where our ward is. Mm -hmm. But every single person that I worked with, right, um, their primary goal was to make sure that that somebody came in that their vote was going to be cast. Yep. Right. Regardless of that. And so there were times that what that actually means, like a guy came in. Right. Um, he was an older guy who came in. He was kind of unsure of what happened. Um, he had a mail-in ballot, right? That got um, that uh, he decided he didn't want to do. He wanted to vote in person, right? And he threw okay. it out, right? Oh, and right. so you have to bring it with you, don't right, you? Right, yeah. right. But so what we did, right? And you know, again, we had several of us that we could. This is how my goal was also. Let's uh, several of us involved in this conversation to make sure that everybody hears what's going on. That we do. We called mm -hmm. the board of elections while he was standing there. So we're kind of walking him through. 
what's going on. And we made sure that there was a, the protocol and the procedure was there to make sure that he got his vote called, right? That he got mm -hmm. vote cast. And so that he knew right, that his vote was going someplace. He could trust that th those of us who are on that side of thing all had his interest at heart. Yep. Right. And that we we're going to make sure and he was there every step of the way. And we had we had witnesses along the way. Right. That was it. And when I went and I dropped off my ballots right to the Board of Elections, how amazing those folks are. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, how, I mean, it just blew my mind. I mean, seriously, how incredible that was. And what I think those are the kind of things I think about election integrity, making mm -hmm. sure that that everybody who is going to be part of that process is going to their primary goal is going to be making sure that everybody who walks in there is going to have their ballot counted. Right. And making sure that we've got, that's what you want. Right. That's not what we want. Nonsense. But it's not what he wants. Correct. 100%. <laughs> it's exactly the opposite. It's finding underhanded ways to disenfranchise voters. And of course, at the same time that he's, now, granted, I'm not watching network TV too much, but uh, I'll admit my I watch Roku TV a lot. And he had that, uh, that network like papered or not papered, but covered with ads. Every time there was a commercial break, there was 30 seconds about him during the primary. That election integrity ad that he did was on Frequently, where he claimed the le the radical left kicks and screams at the idea of voter ID, yep, and he I've goes on it. and on about it. And so, like, at the same time he's doing that, he's also employing people on his staff who turn out to be political sign thieves and ballot harvesters. So how much is he committed to election integrity if he's willing to associate with that sort of folk and pay them? Right, exactly. 100%. And I think that, you know, and I was like thinking about that. This is like, again, another way of looking at his two-stepping is basically looking at the ways that he gaslights people into kind of like um, kind of misdirecting them to what he's actually doing. And this was one, one of the perfect examples of this kind of election integrity kind of gaslighting going on and making it sound all good, right, when really what he was doing is exactly the opposite um, of what right. the revolt is. And the other thing about that, too, is to remember that the Republican Party on a national, from the from national on up, they specifically tasked him to create that election integrity pack, quote unquote, election integrity package. Yep. Like they're trading on his perception as there like, oh, he's a moderate bipartisan guy. We'll have him put this out, even though it is as far right a set of principles as, as you could find. I mean, again, signature match just drives me bonkers, but voter ID too. Like there's no acknowledgement of how hard it is for someone who doesn't have an ID to get one in many places in the country. They would be disenfranchised. There are people who don't have birth certificates anymore. Exactly. They would be disenfranchised. Exactly. Exactly. So let me say one thing before, because I know we're running up on time here, but one, mm -hmm. one thing that I want to kind of go back to is like, so, and this is kind of a way of kind of buttoning up his little, uh, his little thing, <laughs> is yeah. that, you know, he keeps on touting this line, right? He's the most bipartisan lawmaker that's out there, right? Mm -hmm. How is it possible or what the hell does that even mean? Right. This when we're talking about this drives me wild when you explain when this gets explained to you, I think it will drive you wild, too. When he claims that he's received the most bipartisan lawmaker award, it's given out by a group called the, the Luger Institute, I believe. Mm -hmm. All that it judges is how many bills a lawmaker has co-sponsored that are from a person of the other party. That's all it is. It's signing one's name on a piece of paper. I was going through those bills today because I was doing something related to gun policy. It wasn't just gun votes, but I wanted to see what he was doing with co-sponsoring mm -hmm. bills. And like he's he's co-sponsored the Kombucha Act, which is a bill that exempts people who make kombucha from being, you know, qualified as Brewsters. Serving the way alcoholic that, beverages, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, it's it's like anything. He bridge naming acts. The, yeah, bridge naming and, and post office naming. He, I mean, lots of little fixes. I'm not saying that those little fixes aren't important, but he will put his name on anything. There are over 12,000 bills that have been introduced so far this session. He's co-sponsored over a thousand of them. He just co-sponsors everything. So like all that would need to happen is for a Democratic lawmaker to start co-sponsoring every Republican bill and then suddenly they could be the most bipartisan lawmaker. It's just about signing his name. And who knows? Who knows if he's even the one approving it? It could just be that there's someone in his staff who's tasked to like review a bill and make sure it doesn't have a line about killing puppies in it somewhere and he'll sign it. Like we shouldn't give people awards for signing their name once they're past second grade. That's my feeling. But Brian Fitzpatrick not only gets it, but he talks about it all the time. Dude can sign his name. Nope, there you go. He can sign his name. And I think, you know, again, this is this underscores what this is is a political strategy. Is like the reason why he touts it so much. Look, you know, once you know the rules of any kind of award like this, you can game the rules if that's mm-hmm. the kind of person you are. Right. If you're actually more interested in kind of getting the name and the title and doing the superficial work, then you could kind of find your ways to game the system. And that's what he's doing. Yeah. And let's be real. Like, if we're being fair about it, the Democrats who are getting him to co-sponsor gaming the system a little bit, too, because it looks good for them to be able to say, I have my bipartisan bill on, you know, renaming whatever this street is, the whatever the name, you know, it doesn't really matter. But like they get some benefit out of their lawmaker. I mean, out of their voters by being able to say my bill's bipartisan. Fitzpatrick gets his award for it. It's a, you know, one hand washes the other situation. But I wouldn't be surprised if like every single Democratic lawmaker knows, like if you just want a bill to be bipartisan, just ask Brian Fitzpatrick, he'll sign anything. Right, exactly. (laughs) He'll sign anything. Right. I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, look, this this is kind of this is precisely why we have to be paying attention to things a little bit differently now. And I think that I, I'm going to I'm going to be hopeful here and mm-hmm. I'm going to say there has been enough like horror um, over the past couple months that people are at a point where we're looking to kind of dig in and kind of pay more closely attention here. And I think that yeah. one of the reasons why I'm so glad you're on tonight is because I, I do think these are some of the issues and not just the issues that we should be paying attention to, but how we need to be thinking about them as we're preparing for the midterm elections. And yep. all those folks, as we're getting out there, talking to people about why they should that why they should not be supporting Brian Fitzpatrick, why they should be out there and kind of campaigning for people who really support the values that, that we hold here. Like, again, making sure that we're kind of like defending women's reproductive freedom, right? Defending kind of the right to an abortion, like making sure we're having real meaningful kind of gun gun kind of, uh, uh, gun reform and gun control. Make sure, I mean, if it was up to me, ban assault weapons, period, right? I mean, let's go, the list can go on and on and on, right? Yeah. But th- making sure that we're paying attention, not just to the, the nice superficial dressing that's put on here, but to the content um, and to the specific things that people like Brian Fitzpatrick do to divert our attention away from what the real record is. So, you know, this is where we got to be. So, Kirsten, before I let you go tonight, is there anything mm-hmm. that you've kind of, uh, well, kind of a closing words, things you want to plug, things that people should be paying attention to? Thank you for that offer. So yeah. I, I do want to do a couple of plugs. The first yeah. is to say that right now in this season, if any of these topics that we've discussed worries you at all, and I hope that they do, you really need to be going to the social media profile or the the, the website for Ashley Ehaz. I'm not saying this in terms of donating money because you know I'm an indivisible person and we want to say get money out of politics. If you can, great. 
but really campaigns need your time. They need time and effort. A lot of the things that they spend money on help bring in more volunteers to help them. And that's really what they need. So please, if you have any time to give, consider giving it to her campaign. Second thing is, uh, please visit any of the Indivisible Bucks County or Indivisible Lambertville New Hope social media profiles. We are, both of the organizations are on Facebook. We are on Twitter. Uh, we can find ways for you to, to give of your time to help, you know, move us towards a more progressive, inclusive, equitable future. And the last thing is particularly related to what happened these past two weeks related to gun violence. Um, if you are as horrified or filled with rage or frustration about this issue, I would say that Indivisible Lambertville New Hope is having an event, uh, a Zoom event on Thursday night. I believe it's called like Channeling Rage into Action, something along those lines. Channel Your Fury. There you go, Channel Your Fury. <laughs> they have such a way with words, they're wonderful. Um, and I would encourage you to sign up for it. I think Kevin's putting the link to it in the notes. Yep. Uh, if you go to their website, which I believe is just ILNH, uh, you know it's what? Indivisible, no indivisiblelnh.com. I put that link directly in the chat right now. It is also in the show notes. And I also put the direct link to the Zoom event in today's chat right now as well. Wonderful. So like, the, I think I'm, if I'm not going to be there myself, I know that I'm going to have a statement about a canvassing opportunity that may come up. Um, they are a wonderful group who are going to be able to point you towards actions and resources so that you can do things as opposed to just fretting about this issue. Because we always go back to those Nancy Pelosi words. We do not agonize, we organize. And we can organize our way out of this if we elect enough lawmakers who agree with us that this is an action that needs to be worked on. So that that's what I got to say. Ashley Ehas, check out Indivisible, and in particular, this Indivisible Lambertville New Hope event on Thursday. Well, 100%. Well, Kirsten, I can't think of a better place to close out on that kind of note of hope. Uh, thank you so much for kind of taking the time out tonight and joining us here. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Oh, you got it. Hey, everybody, and thank you for joining us tonight. And I wanted to thank all of our patrons and all of our members and all of our supporters who've been out there. Thanks to our kind of our Twitter warriors who are out there are always out sharing our show. Um, make sure that you're kind of passing on the word. And look, if you've got suggestions about folks that you think that we should have on the show, you can shoot me an email at raging, ragingchicken at gmail.com or it's ragingchickenpress at gmail.com. We're going to be updating that kind of contact information. I'm going to have a whole new launch this summer which i'm really excited to tell you about in kind of in a couple of weeks um, but if you're looking for ways of um you know look you have ideas of people that are kind of uh, you want to have on the show do let me know i'd really appreciate that and look if you're looking for a way to kind of making sure that you're kind of investing in the organizing on the ground here making sure that you are you know, our money that we're, we're, we're that we're going to be kind of putting up are going to go directly into kind of um, helping out kind of local candidates, helping out um, progressive organizing. You can always head on over to Raging Chicken at levelfield.net. Um, that'll help our, our little community-based pack over here. But most of all, what you can do is you can help become a member of this show, um, help out the show by going to um, patreon.com slash rcpress and become a patron today. Kirsten, thank you so much for kind of joining me. And like, hey, uh, we'll see you on the flip side. We'll kind of, we'll all be out there organizing for this summer of rage and hope <laughs> we'll take it easy all right everybody this is kevin mahoney editor and founder of raging chicken i should be playing music right now here we go there it is <laughs> tech has not failed me yet well kind of we'll see anyways uh we'll be uh checking out us out on friday for this our friday politics roundup we'll have more info on what's happening on next week's to coop live see ya